And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Final Four is finally on us, Drancher, as we approach June. But first, before we get to that, before we get to the much-anticipated Muck versus Muck series in Edmonton and uh, Colorado, we've also got uh, Tampa Bay, the defending two-time champions, against the big market New York Rangers, who just four years ago delivered a letter to their fans saying they were about to start a rebuild. Boy, wouldn't that have been nice in Vancouver. Let's start with the Canucks and some changes to the front office, uh, most notably Daniel and Henrik Sedin, are moving from their special advisor roles into prospect development roles. And then we've also got the additions of people like Michael Samuelson, the former Canuck, along with uh, Mike Komisarek. So uh, lots to dive into as we enter the month of June here in Canuckland. Yeah, and, you know, they're interesting hires for sure. Particularly, you know, we got to start with the Sedins when it's the Vancouver Canucks. But the... You know, Sedin's moving into roles where they'll be more closely affiliated with the team, right? Like, not not with the management team, but with the team itself. They're, they're going to be on the ice some. They're going to be around. They're going to be in the bowels of Rogers Arena. They'll be in the mailroom every day. Um, You know, far more likely to be on the ice than they were last season, where they were often seen in the stands watching practice. And... You know, this is a pretty meaningful change. It's not out of line with something that Rutherford has typically had in his organization, which is, you know, he, in Pittsburgh, they always had this group of development coaches, Mark Recchi and Sergey Gonchar being perhaps the most notable examples, where you had, you know, bright, experienced former players um, who would be, you know, around learning the craft, con- contributing on the coaching side. And you know, eventually moving into different roles. And and what's interesting is that Recky and Gonchar, as examples, ended up moving into 
coaching roles, typically, not management roles. Now, I'm not saying that this is a full-on sort of change for the Twins in terms of their ambitions to where I'm expecting them to be, you know, um, like, necessarily... I'm not expecting them to necessarily be on a coaching track now, but certainly they, this is a hybrid role. This is very much a, a role that's going to position them to contribute in terms of, you know, noticing the details uh, of the professional game and, and translating that for both coaches and players. Uh, they're going to be around. They're going to be part of the team environment, which places them into a position where they're perhaps, you know, a little bit more familiar, a little bit better able to help this team succeed. Look, if the Sedins are going to be working directly with players from a Canuck standpoint, that can be nothing but a good thing, right? Uh, both in terms of the details and the way they see the game on the ice, their preparation, their commitment level, uh, them making sure players understand what it means to be a professional, all of that. However, it does feel like this is taking them a little bit further away from a management type role. And you mentioned the people in Pittsburgh eventually wound up getting into coaching roles. And I certainly never got the impression from Daniel and Henrik when they got into the organization this way, that this is what they wanted. Now, I have to believe that this was their choice, right? Like, uh, or at least certainly it, 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 came, it was for sure. It was. I mean, whether 100%. it was suggested to them and they agreed to it or whether they came to the, to the organization and said, hey, maybe we should do this. I'm not sure. Jim Rutherford certainly has said earlier that, look, they can do whatever they want. So, but but again, on the surface, it just feels like this is one step farther away from management than what they may have been doing or what they potentially could be doing. Yeah, and, and they'll still have a foothold in hockey operations. I mean, they're still part of the player development staff, so they're still in hockey operations, but it's very much a hybrid role with um, certainly a, a bit more of a coaching lean than than the advisor roles that they were in last season. Um, and, you know, this is very much in line with, uh, you know, I, I do think their, their desire to, um, you know, to do this is is for sure first and foremost but I do think Patrick Alvin in particular who has really struck up a pretty close relationship with the twins I don't think we're surprised we saw the three of them at the rink together a fair bit over the latter part of the season but you know I think there's been a, a pretty significant um they, they've managed to build out some trust between the three of them and I think there's a commonality a, a shared sense of values uh hockey values between those uh between those three gentlemen that i think have um you know it, it certainly shaped the outcome um in terms of where the twins have ended up i, I think you know it, uh, whether whether you think it's a little strong to say alvin urged them to to take on this type of role uh, he certainly was um collaborating with them on figuring out exactly what this would look like and how they could have an impact. So as we look at uh, the rest of the organization, um, we, we now see Cami Granado, who you and I both respect tremendously, um, mm -hmm. heading up the department. So is, is this a change here that she has apparently moved above Ryan Johnson, at least in certain ends of the player development spectrum? Uh, is that how you see this, that, that, that now – Ryan reports to her. I know they're going to work together, but it seemed like Ryan was previously at the top of that 
part of the Canucks organization. Now there might be a change there. And, and how does that play out, given the fact that both Rutherford and Alvin have both said they're extremely impressed with Ryan Johnson and have come to lean on him quite a bit? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure about the RJ portion of this in terms of where we go from here. You know, I've long been expecting him to, you know, have some kind of a title lift uh, under the new new executive structure. Certainly, he's become the organization's kind of chief executor. But I also think as his responsibilities have expanded, um, that, you know, there's a sense that you know, there's a sense that um, you can't spread him too thin, that if he's going to be helping you identify and develop hockey players, that, you know, can he also be doing X, Y, Z, managing the cap, running running the um, American League affiliate, on and on, right? And so with regards to, you know, RJ and exactly where he's going, you know, I don't have a really good answer. That's sort of one of the questions that I'm still trying to figure out. And, and speaks to, I think, too, the importance of finding ways to productively work together when you're a new staff that's been brought together. There's not a ton of uh, pre-existing relationships, you know, among new Canucks management, right? Like, it's not like these are, um, it's not like these folks have all worked together previously or uh, anything like that. This is a relatively new group. They've been put together by Jim Rutherford. They're you know, they're still feeling one another out. And so, um, you know, certainly, certainly there's um, going to be some, one would think, one would expect there would be some growing pains in terms of exactly what this looks like for for these folks to, you know, build chemistry, figure out how to work together. Uh, but, you know, and, and maybe the RJ thing is sort of a snapshot of that, but I, I get the sense that uh, at some point, we're going to get some clarity on that, that, you know, very much RJ remains central to the organization's plans and deeply involved in all manner of, of items. Um, you know, in, obviously the AHL uh, management of the AHL team being chief among them, but being just a small facet of it. Um, and we're also sort of seeing them expand overall resources within player development. I'd add that too, right? I mean, this isn't a demotion for Chris Higgins, even though his responsibilities are being sort of shared now between him, Komisarek, and and Mikhail Samuelson, all of whom will have regions, as I understand it. So, you know, Chris Higgins is going to be doing Western, um, Chris Higgins will be doing Western sort of what he was doing previously, but in the West. And, um, you know, Mikhail Samuelson will have those responsibilities for, for Europe. And then you'll see... Um, Mike Commissar handle it on the east side, like the east, the eastern part of North America. So you know it's an evolution in Chris Higgins's obligations. It's really an evolution in departmental resources across the board. Yeah, it certainly seems to be an organization in a completely different space than where it was. Uh, well, and we've seen so many departments have impacted here at this point. Yeah, like starting with analytics, player development, and- amateur, amateur scouting, analytics. I mean, there's. You know, there's no part of this organization that's going to be untouched here. And while, you know, I, I think it's fair to wonder if this organization or this new management group that Rutherford and Alvin have assembled, if there's going to be some growing pains, right? I mean, if, you know, a first time general manager and, and a bunch of people who've been thrown together but don't have a ton of uh, previous experience working together, like it could take them some time to sort of find their footing as a group. But, 
the overall modernization, the or overall like depth of talent that have been brought in here, I think is pretty essential, particularly considering, you know, sort of what came before it, what the organization needed. Like this, this is stuff that was overdue that absolutely had to happen. And, um, you know, I mean, if you have any concerns about what it's going to look like, uh, you know, my sort of suggestion to you would be, well, it can't be much worse. Like it's <laughs> something the organization <laughs> but, but, just sorely needed as a whole. But look, you said that um, there, there probably will be a little bit of stepping on toes at some point as everybody tries to really identify what their roles are here. Because when you have one person running a department, you know what your role is, even if you're overworked. Whereas now if you have, you know, three or four people in a department, now you've got to spread that around and everyone's like, wait a minute, I kind of want a certain, maybe I want more ownership than I'm currently getting now. So it is going to take some time for all of these guys to truly understand what their assignments are, reporting structure and all of it, and just get comfortable in those roles working with one another. No question. And that's, I mean, there's no question that's going to take some time. And like any, like any new colleague, right? Like, like you and I, when we started out at the fan cast, I just had to learn to sit in the back and let you talk. <laughs> but that's a hard lesson. Yeah, it is. No question. No, it is. They were stepping. They were stepping on toes, <laughs> talking over each other, yeah. arguing about the Mariners uh, and the Blue Jays. <laughs> um, so, so with this, um, did you ever think it would get to this? You know, we had talked about uh, a leaf type structure, right, where everybody kind of had silos and they all operated in these silos and they all kind of came together and. And there was just a lot more efficiency that was created and a lot more depth. And they were able to to just do a better job in every single area. Um, but we none of us really had faith. I mean, I, I don't know that we ever had faith that Francesco Aquilini was going to go hire a president again ever because it was, you know, a layer. It was a buffer that maybe everybody else on the outside thought the organization needed, but maybe he didn't necessarily want to have, right? Um you know, he wanted that input and influence. And was he going to put in the resources? Uh, you know, was he going to spend for a president, let alone all of these other roles that they've now added? Did you ever think it would get to this and this fast? I'm not surprised. I mean, the the development, the Sedin twins, like if you looked at Pittsburgh Penguins staff directories, which as, as you can imagine, I've done, right? Like I did that. And, you know, the development coach title always stuck out to me as something that I was curious to see if we'd see in Vancouver, particularly when I was sort of trying to track, um, you know, who the Canucks were still talking to um, in April. Right. Like I, I, there was a point where I thought that, you know, perhaps there was, you know, someone involved in the Olympics one way or the other, who was going to maybe be a development coach who would be a woman who might be, you know, one of the first active women to be on an NHL coaching staff. I still think there's a chance that we see the Canucks sort of break that barrier this offseason, but I'm not I'm not really expecting it anymore. I, th- I think there's a chance. I certainly think it's something the organization would, would like to do, but, um, you know, I, 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 w- I do now expect them an update on what Bruce Boudreau uh, said, but sources have indicated to me that, um, you know, they I should expect to see them announce, um, you know, an additional assistant coach as well as a video coach here down the line. Um, do they have a skills but, coach? But I've lost track in all the changes. They do. It, it, gentleman with a, with a Russian name. He was around the team a fair bit. I don't know him very well, uh, but he replaced Glenn Carnegie yeah. uh, last season. And um, so they do. 
I'm I'm not sure if they'll add uh, additional bodies in that area. I, I think the twins will probably not not you know that not that that's going to be their specialization by any means. I think they're more there to be mentors and and just smart hockey people who notice things. But um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some work on that if they if they see a need for it. I love I love J Pat's line. Bruce Boudreaux, any ideas for practice? The twins. How about the gross grind? Boudreaux, any other ideas? <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> Could you imagine Dan- well, Daniel and Henry's that- first order of business? Okay, find a twin, somebody that you can figure out really well and just get on the same page with and learn how to cycle. <laughs> well, I mean, trade trade the farm for Luke and uh for Luke and Jack Hughes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's going to be a lot to digest here for sure for the Canucks as they, as they level up here. But yeah, anyway, I, I was sort of wondering if they might bring in a development coach. That was something that I'd sort of been tracking for a while. What I didn't expect was that it ultimately would uh, be the twins moving into that role. And, and perhaps that makes sense considering, you know, in particular, I think one thing that looms large for me here is uh, Patrick Alvin had the, that commentary about the club's practice habits in mid season. And, you know, we know how hard driving, uh, how professional, how, how, you know, thoroughly classy the twins were as players, uh, how they conducted themselves versus, you know, how, how we think of the organization conducting itself this past season. Um, I, I find it very difficult to not imagine that there is some um, thought that they can help in that area in particular. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Drancer, it's time to get to the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. In the East, we have got the defending Stanley Cup champion, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, who we thought were in trouble in the first round, showed us how good they were in the second round, and now they take on a New York Rangers team that four years ago was sending a letter to its fan base talking about a rebuild. Uh, Rob Williams, Rob the Hockey Guy, did had a funny post uh, yesterday talking about how right around the same time the Canucks went out and signed like Sven Berchi and Jay Beagle and a bunch of other guys that didn't really go so well. And um, and here they are in the Final Four. And, and many will say, look, they're riding the back of Shesterkin and he's been fantastic. And they are riding the backs of their goaltender. But they are. There's, there is and so the much. And the power play. And the power play. Don't, don't. I mean, I think the Rangers have had an enormous. It's not just. Shesterkin, though, it's that they've had an enormous amount of luck on who they've been shooting on, right? That's That's been really the story for the Rangers. As good as Shesterkin's been, yeah, they played it's been the other team's goalie injuries. They've played third-string goalies, mostly. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue that they have had some good fortune. 
And, um, but you know, look, this team does have some talented players. I think Adam Fox being at the top of the list is, as I see it as far as young defensemen and, you know, part of their rebuild process. And then you've got the uh, Western Conference where you've got Colorado and uh, Edmonton and a highly anticipated series with Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon uh, as the front line players. Something. Sorry, let, let's let's talk about the Rangers a little bit more. OK, the Rangers could win the cup and I'd still be like and I'd still be sitting there like, eh, I don't see it. <laughs> I know, you know, so, so you're you're taking some heat now because you've got two teams that just are ordinary. Like, look, and, and well, I've they're t- not ordinary. Let's 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 be clear. Let's be clear. They're not ordinary. Right. The the average the average point haul of the final four teams in the regular season was one hundred and eleven points. Right. Um, but they're not elite. No, they're not elite five on five, but they have an excellent power play and they have the best goaltender in the world right now, other than Andre Vasilevsky, like Andre Vasilevsky is the best big game goaltender, but Shesterkin had a better season, right? I mean, so, you know, it's not like these are slub teams by any means. I just don't think they have the five on five gear, um, you know, to, to keep up. I didn't think that the Rangers had the five on five gear they needed to keep up with the Hurricanes. And you know what? They didn't at five on five, but they managed to find a way to win. And, and so kudos to them. Uh, but no, I'm I'm still not really believing the Hurricanes here. Or oh, sorry, I'm still not. I still believe in the Hurricanes. I still don't believe in the Rangers. I don't know what I don't know what they could do to change it. But but one thing is, I do like I do like what they did. Right, like I liked the rebuild. And in the wake of the trade deadline, and you can go back pull receipts off 650 from this if you want. But I thought they were one of the big winners on deadline day because I thought the body of work, getting Mott, getting, um you know, cop at a relatively reasonable price, particularly given the player, uh, his pedigree, what he does, um, you know, the, f- the fact that he's a center, plays a premium position, plays, you know, the game in a, in, a, in a pretty hard way. I thought that was all, you know, fantastic work from Drury and company. But, um, and well, and Vitrano too. I, th- those were big upgrades. Those were big improvements. So I like what they did there. I like what they did with the rebuild. I just don't think that they're, I don't think that they have the five on five gumption required, um, you know, to, to control play in, in that phase of the game against a team like Tampa Bay, who has managed to stymie teams that are, you know, multiple gears above that already in the playoffs to this point. I, th- I think that's going to be, they're going to be in very tough, although I thought they were going to be in very tough after they lost the first two games to Carolina. So, and then they what lost one more game the rest of the way. But barring a Vasilevsky so, injury, do you see a path right. to victory for the New York Rangers? Because I don't. I, I think he's. I think Vasilevsky's the answer to their power play. I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I do. I see a path for sure. I do. Uh, but but you know they're going to need the games to continue to be called the way they have been in the playoffs to this point and not to a more traditional playoff standard because they're so dependent on power play production. Um, so, you know, if the whistles go away in a key game at any point, which they didn't, of course, last night, I think the Rangers are in a, in a lot of trouble. Um, and they need Shesterkin to outduel Vasilevsky considerably. And they need the Lightning to, to you know, um, struggle, I think, relatively speaking, uh, at five on five. Like, if the Lightning are on their game. Um, I think the Rangers are in tough. That said, the lightning have been, you know, outchanced at five on five in the playoffs to this point against their two previous opponents. So it's not like, 
I think the Lightning have a higher five on five gear than the Rangers do, but it's not like they're playing some team that's, you know, out there generating 65% expected goals here, right? Like, but this is the, a, the Light- this is a tested big game team. They're a team that is able to function in those pressure moments. And I think that matters. Yeah. Oh, no, no question it matters. I think it's why you often see a, a one cup team win again, right? Like <laughs> they tend to win a couple, right? Um, so the learn to win thing, I, I believe in that, no question. But um, you know, I, I just think the I just think the core element is is being good enough. And I think the Rangers, you know, their rebuild, this this is probably a year too soon for them. I think there's still growth in terms of, you know, having guys like Kako and Lafreniere level up perhaps uh, in terms of how the team plays five on five. But, um, you know, I do think they're knocking on the door of being a team that's able to contend on an annual basis, as opposed to a team that requires just an absolute ass load of luck to get through the first round and then win another. Uh, I just, I just don't see them as that quality of team yet. Uh, but I do think they'll, they'll get there in the years ahead. And I do think the work uh, you know, Jeff Gorton's work uh, stemming from that letter um, is a major reason why. I, I do think that's a template here. And and it's not just the Rangers, right? I mean, you look at the Rangers, you look at the Kings, you look at the Avs, uh, you look at the Panthers, right? You've got some teams that were NHL draft lottery fixtures within the last two to four years, um, you know, who've been in the playoffs or performed really well or, or admirably. And, you know, across the board, I think there's some applicable lessons for the Canucks in, in those teams success. And, you know, for me, one of them very much so is you can't be afraid to lose a caps clearing trade, you know, like among that group, you'd have Tyler Toffoli traded by the Kings for Tyler Madden and a second, right? Tyler Madden doesn't look like he's going to amount to being a significant NHL contributor for the Kings second round pick considering what Tyler Toffoli's done the last few years. Like I'd say that's a meager return considering the quality of the player. And yet the Kings are better today than they were when they made that deal in part because of what they were able to do with the cap space opened up by not extending Tyler Toffoli. Uh, you look at the Ryan O'Reilly trade, right? The Ryan O'Reilly trade that Colorado made, I think Grigorenko, Zadorov, and an additional asset, like that's a loser deal. That's a loser trade, right? But when you factor in what the Colorado Avalanche were able to do in in sort of reinventing themselves, um, the trade still positioned them better for the long haul, despite, you know, the overall loss in value that that, that represents individually. And then, of course, Trocek from Florida to Carolina. Uh, now, both those teams are out now in the second round, but, you know, the the Carolina Hurricanes basically got Vincent Trocek for free, and they outlasted the Panthers. They, they performed better than the Panthers this year, but the Panthers were able to, in quick succession, turn that cap flexibility into, you know, more value than, than Trocek might have brought at $4 million. So it's just a reminder that in the hard cap era, you can win a trade, you lose. You can lose a trade, you win. We saw the Canucks lose a trade they won with the Oliver Ekman Larson Connor Garland deal, right? Like that, they got the better hockey players in that trade, and yet they're kind of hosed because of it. They're kind of hooped and married to a non-playoff group as a result, with uh, with the sort of 
three examples that I just gave, though, we're talking about teams that have turned it around relatively quickly and, you know, did so in part because they were able to carve out that cap flexibility. And it's really just a lesson that you can't be afraid if you're a team in the Canucks position to deal bigger ticket items, even if the futures involved maybe aren't ideal, right? Even if you don't think you're getting like the franchise right-handed defenseman that everyone wants, like there's still a logic to those deals. Getting this, getting the big picture strategy parts right can sort of save a deal that perhaps on its face or or in, in or in its simplest terms isn't as efficient as as you perhaps want. So how do you see this series playing out? Which which procession are you talking We're about? Talking about the East. <laughs> well, you like in a second here I want to compare the Rangers process to the Oilers process, which I don't okay. necessarily believe was a process. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and clearly I'm the most popular man in Edmonton, so I might as well just keep going here. But, um, you know what, actually, let's, let's go there and we'll do our predictions on the other side of the next break. So let's let's talk about, you know, process, because I, I get a lot of people from Edmonton who, are, who railed on my original tweet about, you know, who that team is uh, without Connor McDavid. And people in Edmonton really chafe at the notion. There's two camps. There's one camp that says we did it right by building through the draft. And then there's the other camp that chafes at the notion that you you think they're a one-man team because generally most of those players that they got, whether it's Neil Yakupov or, or whoever, aren't necessarily a part of what the current team is, Connor McDavid notwithstanding, right? That, um, you know, and they, and they haven't been down in the depths of that since 2016 as far as picking that high, right? So, but when, when I look at the process and I've, I've seen Kenny Holland, who I like personally a lot, get a lot of love here. Um, like the only effective move they've made was to acquire Zach Hyman. A move which, by the way, is not going to age well. Like you better win a cup in the first couple of years there. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was an absolute- and, and and I mean, I mean, Zach Hyman was replaced like Toronto managed to replace Zach Hyman for 800K. And yeah, Toronto went out in the first round to a team far, far better than any team Edmonton has played in the playoffs. So I mean, if you want to, if if Oilers fans want to beat their chests as if they would have gotten to seven against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and thus are you know the the Hyman thing is justified, and uh, you know the Leafs got the better side of that business. Like Michael Bunting was better this year for Toronto than Hyman was, and he's at two years and basically vet minimum. Like who, how how much credit do you get? for signing a player to a big money deal when that player is replaced on the scrap heap by his former team. I, I mean, yeah, to but me, like, that's not a huge win. Yeah, but it, so much of this comes down to opportunity, right? I mean, he was given a better opportunity in Edmonton, whereas Toronto, given what they have in their lineup, simply couldn't give him the same opportunity. And you're right, it's, an, it's a deal that, that isn't going to age but well. But he played with Matthews a ton, man. Like, he had opportunity in Toronto. This is not just opportunity. Well, right now, when again, when you look at what's been added overall, right, like, you know, the moves that have been made, uh, like Cody Cece and Duncan Keith don't necessarily make Edmonton's defense a very good defense, right? Yeah, Cece's been great, though. He Sure, but, it, you know, he's been good for them in the playoffs, but how much how important was he during the regular season? Yeah, I mean, he's been great, though. <laughs> Cece, I'm... I'm I, I wouldn't lump CC in with Keith. I think the CC move, I would lump in with, um, uh, well, I just think the CC, the CC move might have been the best one. 
in retrospect. And if you look at the Evander Kane move, that was purely a right. That that's the other best one. Yeah, but it's also a desperation move, right? It came down to we're struggling badly. Totally. We need something. We basically got this player for free, right? Like 1.3 million, given yeah. what his scoring can provide and what the scoring is actually worth. It was a pure desperation move. And I mean, even Connor McDavid got somewhat criticized. I mean, as much as you can criticize him in Edmonton, um, for essentially saying, I don't care what the issues are if he can help us win games, right? And around the league, Evander Kane was radioactive. Like, he was completely toxic. Nobody wanted to touch him because clearly anybody could have had him for that number, right? So it was a it was a pure, oh, yeah. it was a pure desperation move given where they were at, given the struggles, at, you know, at five-on-five five scoring and things of that nature. So, you know, when you look at the process, and I go back to the the – 2010 to 2016 window there, they weren't trying to do what the New York Rangers did, what the LA Kings did, what the Toronto Maple Leafs did. They were trying to do what the Vancouver Canucks did, right? Like they were trying to make moves in the short term for now to win now because there was pressure in the marketplace and they were too bad for too long. It was never some long-term vision about how we were going to build the team. They just happened to stumble into some ridiculous lottery luck as opposed to good process like some of these other teams are showing. And correct. And here they are. Well, and and I'd add this. I'd add this. You know, they could have carved out if they'd bought out Miko Koskinen, right? If they'd been willing to car- uh, buy out Miko Koskinen, they could have carved out almost thirty million in cap space this summer, which is like money that you know, if used right, should build a durable contender for years and years. And instead, I think they made a lot of moves that will ultimately have, um, you know like a, a tough short-term impact on on the on the club. Like I think they're going to have some issues with some of these guys um, you know, over the long haul. Like I, I think their offseason ultimately is going to have 2020 Montreal Canadiens vibes. Uh particularly the Hyman deal, but you know, the the Tyson Berry contract, Duncan Keith. Um I, I sort of give Holland a bit of a pass on that one just because when you look at the salary involved like Duncan Keith doesn't really make five million or even close to it and in a world where you know you're flush with potential 30 million in in new available cap space but it's on the other side of the pandemic and owners haven't had an opportunity to generate revenue in a long time you know I I I think those sorts of things can be more complicated like it might be more complicated than that 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 was Ken Holland's view of the most efficient way to use cap space I suspect strongly that that it was in fact a different story than that. So, but nonetheless, you look through what the Oilers accomplished and yeah, they, they improved for this year, but I don't think they're set up well, particularly once they, you know, give Kane a lift if they decide to keep him and, and surely with the way that he's fit in there, that, that, you know, that, that should be something they look to do. Um, You know, I don't think when you look at it all like that, that the Oilers have like durably improved for years to come, they just have the best player in the world and made some short-term bets that look good this year, but may begin to look dicey in the years to come. Well, coming into these playoffs and even coming into the second round, there were still concerns about the quality of goaltending. And those are valid concerns. There are concerns about their blue line, and there was concerns about their depth scoring at five on five, which through game one of the Flame series was still there front and center, right? And now all of a sudden it's turned around and, and you know, they're getting great contributions from everybody. But when you when you look at 
you know, the narrative around that team all year. I know everyone in Edmonton is going to forget um, the hiccups along the way, right? But, uh, you know, here they are, and they've got a lot of people that are that are playing extremely well. You know, as much as I say it's about McDavid and what he brings to everybody else, given the way the best player on the planet was able to even further elevate his game in the playoffs, as much as that true, that's true, uh, you still can't take away the fact that these guys are playing well, right? And And they are... You know, as Daryl Sutter said, they're playing eight forwards, but even then, those eight forwards are all chipping in and doing some things. Yeah, they are, and I mean, that's one of the biggest one of the biggest impacts. Ultimately, was things like um, you know Ryan McLeod leveling up, right? Like that's been a huge boon for the Oilers. Him becoming, you know, a, a really solid bottom six option has given them a fair bit of. You know, like there, there's other than Josh Archibald, there just aren't a lot of Oilers players who, uh, you know, I'd sort of lump Archibald with Keith. The, the Oilers are basically, you know, a, a group of above average pieces up and down the lineup now. And how often has that not been the case, right? Like how often have we talked about the Oilers having, you know, a bunch of wasted guys in the bottom six over the years? Often. Right? I mean, so it's a little bit different now uh, for them, and, and I think that's paid dividends in a, in a major way. But I also think they, you know, they've beaten the Kings and an Oilers team that got 850 goaltending from, flame, from Jacob Markstrom. Yeah. So what did I say? You said Oilers. But yeah, Flames team that got 850 oh, goaltending. Right. Flames team that got 850 goaltending. So... I, I mean, we'll see what it looks like against Colorado, but Mike Smith um, backstopping a team facing the Colorado Avalanche in the year 2022, um, you know, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Have have fun, have fun dunking, have fun dunking on Farhan and I today, City of Champions, <laughs> uh, and enjoy Mike Smith against Nathan McKinnon. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Just, just tune in, clear your schedule, go to the bar, order some hot wings, and enjoy it. And just enjoy. Love it. Have fun. Have fun. All right, let's go. Have fun in the Western Conference procession. Let's uh, come back in a second here and, and get into our picks and our matchups. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So I take it you think that uh, it's not going to go so well for Edmonton and Mike Smith. I tend to agree. But look, when I look at Calgary's forwards, right? I mean, I think Calgary's forwards were operating at a pretty high level. And yeah, you know, you they can were. say that they don't have Nathan McKinnon, but Johnny Gaudreau had a pretty damn good season. And they had some depth up front. They certainly were believed by everybody 
outside of the city of champions to have more scoring depth than Edmonton going into that series. And yet they, they found a way. Now, look, I, I think that um, Smith was, was fine. I mean, even when you go to the final game of that series in game five, he was, you know, it's not like he set the world on fire and was the reason they won. You know, Jacob Markstrom may have been more the reason Calgary lost than the other way around. So, and, and on the other side, I mean, while we've got two elite goaltenders in the East, we got Darcy Kemper backstopping Colorado. Yeah, in, that's true. In the West, that's right? True. So you can say what you want about Mike Smith, and yep. you're not wrong. But it's not like they're facing God's gift of goaltending on the other side. I mean, he, what is he? He's not even sitting at nine ten right now in save percentage. No, he hasn't been good. But I do think the Avs are as well set up to match up with McDavid as anybody. Right? Yeah, they're going to have Kadri to to you know send out at him. Um, one thing, one thing the Calgary Flames didn't do quickly enough was, was match up McDavid with Backlund, right? They kind of tried to roll lines and, and tried to go best on best. And Backlund was the only guy who had any impact slowing McDavid down. And I think we saw in the latter couple games of the series that that proved to be relatively effective, right? If the Flames had gone with that strategy, they, they earlier, they probably would have extended that series. And that's not to criticize Daryl Sutter, by the way. Um, you've got that Elias Lindholm line that was the best in the NHL was like plus 60 goal differential over the course of the regular season. Um, trying that out for your first three games, particularly with the way you were generating offense in game one and two, you know, I don't think that's a mistake. I'm just saying that ultimately I wonder if the backland approach was better. Now, the Cal the Colorado Avalanche have the the matchup center, in my view, to frustrate McDavid, or at least to do as, as much to frustrate McDavid as anybody can. Um, but... They also have, in Devon Taves and Kale McCarr, arguably the only defense pair in the league that can have any claim to maybe being able to keep up with the guy. Um, that that puts them in on good footing. But um, yeah, I mean, look, the Edmonton Oilers are going to score and they're going to have some have their chances. I just think ultimately that the Avs have too much. But I thought that the Oilers would lose to the Kings and I thought the Oilers would lose to the Flames. So for a third series in a row. I'm picking against the Oilers, so take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm going to have Abs in five. Abs in five. Uh, so is Mark Spector going to save this receipt as well? Well, maybe, maybe. Uh, so it goes. I mean, easy to save receipts when the, when the team um, you cover gets lucky, right? I mean, <laughs> like, you know, it, it's easy to save receipts in that scenario. Do we, right? do we talk about Jacob Markstrom being bad? Or do we talk about the fact that maybe the Oilers figured him out because they handled him all season? Sorry, I think um, I don't think Markstrom was particularly good, no. But was it just because of who he was playing and the fact that they've just had success regardless of when they face him? Um, no, I don't think so. I think he was fatigued. Yeah, it's hard. I, I really think it was overwork. It's hard to argue with that. And, and you, you know, Darcy Kemper, like I said, I mean, when you look at him in the last series, um, you know, it doesn't. Dicey. It, it, it was dicey. It, it was dicey. And look, the way McDavid is playing right now, I, like, could he carry them past Colorado? I mean, he could, but I don't think he will. There's a chance. I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be laying my money on it. What do you do? What are you doing when you put Taves and McCar McCar on McDavid? I mean, are are you taking away their ability to also play offensive? Do they have other options they can throw at McDavid? And and really, does it come down to trying to defend with a five man unit? I, I like I still think Nazem Kadri could be a real difference maker if he can actually stay in this series and could be just as valuable and, and still give you an opportunity yep. at times to free up that defensive pairing. 
you have to, you have to, I know it's going to mess up your deployment and you're going to probably, especially because McDavid's playing 25 minutes a night, you're, you might end up playing Miko Rantanen, uh, you know, and McKinnon less than you'd ideally like to, but I think you have to, you have to go match up with McDavid. You have to. And, you know, Nichushkin, they have Lekkanen who can kind of is like fast, hardworking checker. Like I'd be really tempted if I was the Avs to go with something like Lekkanen, Nichushkin, Kadri, right? Just like a break glass in case of emergency uh, line, right? All, all my, all my best two way pieces and just be like, Hey, like you are the McDavid stoppers here. You are the McDavid stoppers, Makar, Taves. You guys are, are it. We are going to you. You are responsible. You don't even have to stop him. Just slow him down. Just slow him down enough that our edges matter in, in other circumstances. And, you know, look, that's a pretty big change at this point. You know, Nachushkin and, and Lekkanen are Kadri's most frequent line mates in the, in this playoffs, but the trio as a whole, um, you know, have not necessarily been like a, a fixture together, um, game in, game out. Maybe, maybe you go with Landeskog if you want to give that line a little bit more offensive punch, but, but I like Nachushkin, Lekkanen, Kadri, uh, break glass in case of emergency, Taves, Makar, every time McDavid's on the ice when you control the matchup. That that's what I want to see if if I'm Colorado. And I'm curious that's, to that's see how I'd approach I'm it. curious to see how much, if at all, Jay Woodcroft splits up McDavid and Drysidle. You know, because we see this. It, well, you can't. You can't. You're right. You can't. They're playing great, but if you get think. matched up and if they have some success But but also Drysidle Drysidle struggled. Like you don't have another guy who adds to McDavid's offensive gear the way Drysidle does. And I don't know that Dreisaitl in his compromised form is driving offense on a secondary line. I think that was a key adjustment that they made in the first round. Like, I don't think that's a real option for Woodcroft. Maybe we'll see it, well, but I don't think I don't think that exists. You kind of need Nugent Hopkins and Hyman. Like, those guys are going to need to deliver something extra in terms of supporting offense. They did effectively against Calgary. Um, you know, in addition to Markstrom and McDavid, it was a big reason why that series ended in five. Wow, I, I thought Drysaddle was... If Edmonton's going to win, they need to do it according again. According to Edmonton, Drysaddle was so good, he could do this on his own too, right? Uh, not right now. Uh, not on one ankle. I don't think. I don't think. I think the Oilers um, made a key change after the Mikey Anderson play, and I think it's powered them to, what, I guess they've won six of seven since since McDavid and Drysaddle uh, were united. So... Look, if the Avs jump all over the Oilers, um, you know, manage somehow to smother the McDavid Kane Dreisaitl trio in games one and two, maybe maybe you change things up. But certainly to open the series, you have to you have to be going in with Dreisaitl McDavid Kane. Yeah, especially when you don't have the the matchup edge at home, so it does make sense. So you've got them in five. I'm just having a tough time picking against the Oilers. I think things have lined up for them so well. I just stop it. I'm not telling you for a second. I believe they're better than the Colorado Avalanche. I don't believe for a second they're a more well constructed team than the Colorado Avalanche front to back. Go put money on it because you can get three to one money. Go go. No, I know I can't. Go put. I I know I can't. And and again, a hundred bucks on that. Come on. Look, the the Abs are better, and and I would love to see an Abs Lightning final. If you really, uh, but, if you really think Edmonton's going to win, I would bet on that. I think they're going to. Wow, 
It's it's been falling for them to this point, and and again, this is not me coming down with an analytical argument of how I believe they're better. I don't believe they are in any metrics other than 97 is the best player in the series. So you're picking Oilers in seven or six? Seven. Wow. I'm I'm going to take the Oilers in seven. Get get to your bookie right now because you can get um, eight to one odds on that. (laughs) Well, you know, it would be be if you really think that like that's. Put put money. It would down. be a bet. That's, I would be those, happy those to lose. It would be a bet. I'd I'd be happy to lose. But <laughs> well, those are the best that, types that to make. Yeah. Right. Uh, on the other side, I think I think Tampa's going to win this thing in five. Yep. Um, I agree with that too. I th- I think I'm picking Tampa in six out of respect for Shesterkin and the and and respect for the Rangers' power play. I think that they'll get one game done, particularly at MSG, um, and and maybe another. So I'm gonna pick uh, I'm gonna pick Rangers in six, but that's it. All right, hey, it is uh, time for us to get out of here. I know you got business to tend to. I'm in Toronto right now, so I've got some CFL stuff as well. It was fun. We will do this again next week, and we'll see what the first part of the second or part of the third round looks like, and see which way our bets are trending. If you're looking for other pot options, Doug Wait, yeah, the former Oiler captain who was there in 2006 playing for Carolina. Got his first cup at the expense of his former team, even though he was injured a lot during that uh, series. He joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentili on the Athletic Hockey Show. Meanwhile, for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. We'll be back on Thursday, so we'll have a couple of games to get into. For Drancer, I'm Farhan. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for logging on.